Hello, everybody. Welcome once again as uh, we continue on in the study we're doing through the New Testament. And I, I look, this was 205, number 205 of our study in the New Testament. We're less than 50 now, I think, to the end. And so uh, next year, Christmas time, we should be wrapping it up. And then we'll, uh, what's next year? 2014, right? So in 2015, we should be jumping into the Old Testament, unless Jesus has come back, and then, then none of that will be necessary. Um, so, uh, so that's where we're heading, and we have, um, we spent over four years now looking through the New Testament together, a chapter at a time. I've, I've just continued to talk about the importance of looking at the Bible in context. And, and so we've, we've purposely been going through this a chapter at a time, seeing how it fits together, seeing what the context is, how it was written, why it was written. All those things matter when you're reading the Bible. Um, and um, certainly the Holy Spirit uses the Bible uh, in, in our lives on a day-to-day basis, but you, you want to hold the verses that you um, are reading in the context of how they were written, why they were written, who they were written to, and what they were being written about. Uh, and then in that context, then, then you're able to discern, and the Spirit will help you discern how it applies to your life today, which it does, but um, you, you don't want to take verses out of context. And so you don't want to take a, one piece that comes out of here and say, well, this is what it says without reading it in the context of not only how it was written, but in the context of everything else that was going on. And so that's how we've been looking through the New Testament together. And um, we, we went through the Gospels, we saw you know, the ministry of Jesus, and then we saw the ministry of the early church, and then the missionary work that started with, with, you know, in particular with Paul. And so after we finished the book of Acts, we jumped into Paul's letters. We finished all of Paul's letters, all about getting the church going. And now we're in the book of Hebrews. We're not exactly sure who wrote Hebrews. Some people think it was Paul, but that's not usually the general consensus anymore. Some people think it might have been Apollos, but, uh, or even maybe Luke. Um, but, but we're not sure who it was. Um, we do know it was divinely inspired. And we also know that because of um, some of the things that are in there, it was, it was somebody that was close to Paul um, who, and who would have traveled with Paul and been hanging around with him. So we're not 100% sure who it was. But we've been uh, digging into Hebrews. And Hebrews, you know, if you remember, is written to a group of Jewish Christians who are being really persecuted. And, and uh, it's sort of causing them to th- rethink about staying true to the Lord. They're thinking about bailing out on the whole thing. And uh, in the last time that we were together, we, we saw how the writer reminded them that that was just like their ancestors after they'd been delivered from bondage in Egypt um, and, and um, their refusal to go in the promised land. And they were so close to the promised land, but they stopped trusting God, and so they never got in. And he's telling them, you're, so, you're, you're the promised land, you're in it, in Christ. Don't turn back from it. There's nothing like it. That's where you find the rest of God. And so we, we dug into that last week. And remember, I've told you in Hebrews that because it's written to Jewish Christian believers, they use a lot of Old Testament scripture in it. Um, where Paul used some in his writings, but since he was primarily writing to Gentiles who wouldn't have the background, it wasn't as loaded with the Old Testament scripture as the book of Hebrews is. Virtually the whole thing is just bringing back scripture and, and seeing how... Um, what was hinted at in the Old Testament has been fulfilled in Jesus. And that's kind of the reality of what's taking place. The Old Testament is hints all the time at what's going to take place. When Jesus comes, all of a sudden these things start making sense to anybody that can, um, is open to hear and see and read and check it out. And, 
And so this is Paul's reminder. Look, this is what's happening, and this is how it all fits together. So in chapter 5, we're going to talk more about the high priest. The idea of a high priest was introduced in chapter 4, and and yet uh, the writer is really going to dig into it at this point in this chapter. And um, the high priest represented other men in matters related to God. And um, we'll see, they, he, they offered gifts and sacrifices for sin. Now, Jesus, of course, the, the great high priest, offers himself. And, and by the one sacrifice, and we'll be reading about this all throughout Hebrews, open the door to a permanent relationship with God for us. And that anyone who desires can come to, to come to God now can come through Jesus. And, and thus, um, in this process, Jesus fulfills everything that the Old Testament was talking about in relationship with God and how we get there. Um, but in the Old Testament, the high priest, um, the writer's going to tell us, was selected among men, and he, and he needed to be able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. And Jesus was, was certainly chosen from among men, fully God, fully man. Um, but but that, that other sort of caveat about being subject to weakness, um, you know, he was Jesus, fully God, fully man, what is that all about? And... Last week, we looked at Hebrews 4, two weeks ago, um, when I was here last. No, last week we had Thanksgiving. That's why I didn't do it. It's Hebrews 4, the week before, two weeks ago. Um, uh, Jesus is able to sympathize with our weakness, was Hebrews 4, um, because as a man, he was tempted in every way as we are, yet was without sin. We looked at that. And what that means is, um, uh, that's why Jesus has a, uh, that's the idea about weakness, Weakness doesn't refer to our tendency to give in to temptation. Um, the weakness really is our capacity to, to feel it. Um, that, that, that we, you know, it's not that we, that's not the weakness. It's that it, it even impacts us is our weakness. And, and so our weakness is, is uh, it's, you know, our human frailty. The, it's the hungers and the desires and the pains and, and uh, all the things that we're subject to and that push against our wills uh, and, and these, these, all these things that we feel that often push us into doing things that we shouldn't do. And, and Jesus, in taking on our nature, he took on that same weakness as well and, and, and at every point he was tempted as we are, but he never gave into it. Uh, and, and so he was, he was tempted beyond you know, what, what we ever will experience because we've all given in and... Uh, he never did. And so, so with that in mind, we sort of enter into this discussion in Hebrews 5 about the high priest. Short, short chapter, really, 14 verses. Verse 1. Hebrews 5, verse 1 and following. I'll be reading out of the NIV. Every high priest is selected from among men and is appointed to represent them in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. That is, this is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins, as well as for the sins of the people. No one takes this honor upon himself. He must be called by God, just as Aaron was. So Christ also did not take upon himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, You are my son, today I become your father. And he says in another place, You are a priest forever, in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. 
and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to explain because you're slow to learn. In fact, I just I think, sorry, those kind of things are funny to me. We'd like to tell you about this, but you guys are really slow, and so... Uh, <laughs> In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Blessed be the word of the Lord. So um, let's dig into that. There's just a few points really I want to make um, in those verses today. In the first six verses, it's this discussion again about the high priest. And that Jesus is the divinely appointed high priest. The high priest of all high priests. The high priest who was to come. And now that we have Jesus high priest, we, we don't need high priest making sacrifice for anymore. Jesus made the one perfect for all time sacrifice of himself. Um, but, but it says in there, in, in verse 5... Um, uh, Verse 4, no one takes his honor upon himself. He must be called by God, just as Aaron was. So Christ also did not take upon himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, you're my son. Today I become your father. He says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So let's touch on these. That first verse, um, he's quoting from the, New Testament, from the Old Testament in two places there. One of them is in Psalm 2-7. You can write that down. I don't think it made your notes. Psalm 2-7. You can look at it later. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I become your father. So um, the writer of Hebrews is quoting, quoting from Psalm 2 and from Psalm 110, verse 4. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So we should probably explain a couple things about that because um, it would be easy to just skip over Melchizedek, but, but uh, it just got mentioned and people probably want to know who Melchizedek is. Melchizedek is. I'll tell about him in a minute. First... At the time that the book of Hebrews was written, the, it was actually the Romans who were selecting the high priest in Jerusalem. How about that? Um, gone uh, was the genealogy um, through the descendants of Aaron. It had become a political appointment because Rome, um, uh, um, that's how Rome occupied so much of the world. They had a very interesting way really of doing it. Um, Rome would go in and they would overtake you. If you offered any resistance, they would crush that. Uh, and then what they would do is they would allow the government to stay intact. They didn't want to mess with it. They would start saying, you guys run your country. Make sure you send us plenty of money. We're going to send our troops in there to protect you from everybody else. But really, it was just so the troops were there. And that's how Rome took over everything. And so Romans came in and appointed the governmental officials, officials of every country that they took over. And since the high priest carried so much weight in Jerusalem, see, they had a king, too, and that was also appointed by Rome. But uh, they also made the high priest a political appointment at that point in time. So that was the guy. Then, and so things had changed quite a bit at this time. But in the Old Testament, God chose Aaron and his descendants to be the high priest. What about this guy, Melchizedek? Who's Melchizedek? Um, Melchizedek is a fascinating character in the Old Testament. And, and um, let me tell you that a lot has been written about Melchizedek that's absolute conjecture. Because what you can know about Melchizedek, Melchizedek is what we know in Scripture. And there's some of it in there, but it's not where they go with it. And so you need to be careful when you start hearing about this. Because I've had a lot of people, I've actually encountered people who tell me that they're descendants of Melchizedek. Um, oh yeah, we, I've had some interesting conversations. 
And, yeah, okay, good. Um, so, but here's what we know about him. Um, he was a high priest and a king in Salem, which is Jerusalem, Old Testament time. Before it was Jerusalem, it was Salem, all right? Um, well before Aaron and his descendants were appointed to the office. So, so um, he was a king of Salem and a high priest who, who served the big G God before um, uh, God had uh, arranged everything the way he had with the Jewish people. And we, we encounter people in the Old Testament who, who loved God, who existed before Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all those things. And, and, um, and so we have, a, we have a whole, there's people who loved God um, before this thing was set up. Melchizedek is one of those people. And, and um, he's interesting for this. And then the writer uses this comparison because he's, he's introduced to us in Genesis. And we'll actually talk about him more in Hebrews 7. He comes up in there again, but we'll, we'll give you the thing. Um, uh, the reason the writer introduces him at this point is that Melchizedek did not receive his office by birth either, but he was appointed directly by God. And the duration of his office was unlimited because Scripture makes no reference to when he started. His genealogy isn't mentioned, how long he was. was. And so it looks like it was for a very, very, very long time. So, so it looks unlimited. Because it doesn't have a beginning and an end time in Scripture, we don't have any way of knowing. And that's the reference that he's making. And, and what he's saying is that the, the priesthood, the high priesthood of Jesus is superior because it never comes to an end. And, and, and that um, it's not based on genealogy or political appointment. Um, it's based on the calling of God and the fact that, that Jesus is the ultimate divinely appointed high priest. Remember that um, because the high priest that they were used to had to come from the line of Aaron, um, Jesus doesn't. He's from the tribe of Judah. And so there's a, well, how does that work? How can he be high priest? He didn't come from the light family. Well, he came from the family before, the established family. He's in the order of Melchizedek, who was around before Aaron. And that's how that connection happens. That's really what you need to know about Melchizedek. I mean, that's, that's the deal. So when people start telling you all this weird stuff, um, uh, we'll look at the encounter in 7. When we go to Hebrews 7, um, in Genesis, what happens is that Abraham meets him um, after a great battle, and Abraham gives him a tenth of everything that just happened because he knows he's the dude. And, uh, and that's Abraham. So it's pretty cool stuff. Anyway, that's Melchizedek. Now you know why he's in there. And what's that's going? It's because he was called by God, and it's not about his genealogy, and, and that um, we have no idea about... It, it, it looked like his high priesthood was um, without limit because we don't know when it started and when it ends. Okay, uh, Hebrews 5, 7 through 9. In these verses then, um, so we've seen the divine connection um, with Jesus the high priest, but there's, there's also this idea of the connection of his humanity that we need to talk about um, in his duties as high priest um, because he's got to be able to, um, you know, the, the writer said the high priest had to be able to deal with people and, and, you know, know what was going on. And he references, the writer does, Jesus praying with loud cries and tears. And um, the reference he's making is back into the Garden of Gethsemane. And what happens in the Garden, most of you know that, is Jesus prays to the one who could save him from death. And, and God... And, and it says in there that God answered his prayers. You know, God did, right? Because and people say, well, no, he didn't because he went to the cross and he died. He didn't. He didn't 
pray that he would spare the experience of dying. He prayed that he would, be, he would not, experience, not experience death. And what happened? He was resurrected. He didn't. He, he's, Jesus, God fully answered that prayer that he cried out, raised him again. Um, so so he's, he's resurrected in that. And yet, Jesus still experienced the ultimate suffering. That's why he gets everything that went through, including dying. And so Jesus understands human frailty better than any of us, and, and, and because he experienced it all. He experienced the entire absolute spectrum and realm of everything that we'll ever experience, and, and uh, he gets us, and he loves us, and he's there for us. And because he was the first one to defeat death, he's made a way for all of us in him to follow suit. And so his, his willingness to go to the cross and endure all that, um, uh, as he did that, it, it demonstrated his, his, his perfect sacrifice for us. He was a perfect sacrifice. Sinless, willing, and, and able, and did it, followed through. And so he was the perfect once and for all sacrifice for all our sin. And, and so... That's why it doesn't need to continue on anymore because of Jesus. That's why he, he, he satisfied it. He fulfilled it. Um, he was the perfect sacrifice for our sin. And then the last few verses um, in the book of Hebrews, um, the writer kind of chastises the people, um, you know, like, like you're, you're a little slow, you're not getting this, and, you know, you, you need to start um, getting an appetite. For, for meat um, instead of just milk. And what's being said there is, and, and actually I, I touched on this last weekend, um, because it says you're not getting the basic teachings of righteousness. And it's funny, we just talked about that on Sunday. You know, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Right, you remember that? For they shall be filled. And, and what I said to you there applies here. Um, um, we need to have a spiritual appetite in order to grow spiritually. If we don't have a spiritual appetite, we won't grow. If we're not hungering and thirsting for the Lord, we'll just kind of hit one spot and then we'll stay there. And then, um, unfortunately, too many, too many people get stuck there. They get in. It's not saying they didn't get in. They met Jesus. But, but then they just kind of stayed on that keel. Um, and, and, you know, um, maybe they dig in a little more intently when something bad's going on in their life. And, ooh, and then if it mellows out again, they kind of even off and that's not what we're called to um what we're called to is to be a people who have a spiritual appetite and that means we we want more of god we want to know him we want to know about him we we want to connect with him and and um, you know on the weekend i talked about this we hunger and thirst and that the paradox was that that the hungry and and the hungrier and thirstier we are the more we're satisfied it doesn't seem it seems like if you're hungry and thirsty you're just hungry and thirsty but in the context of the teaching of righteousness and what Jesus is coming at, is that the more that you hunger and thirst for him and, and, and do whatever you need to do to deal with that, then, then he will satisfy you. And, and then you're going to be hungrier and thirstier. And you'll dig in even deeper and, and that will be satisfied. And it's a spiritual appetite that's being developed in this so that we continue to press on and grow in him. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is telling these guys. They, they sort of have, they, they found their way in 
in Jesus and they got that that was the right thing. And here's all this Old Testament proof that's coming that Jesus is exactly who should have come and he's done everything that needed to be done. And, and you know, don't turn away from him because you're, that's, that's the promise. He's the rest. He's everything you need. And what you need to do is, you, with all this knowledge that you have now, you need to dig in and get the rest of it. Don't, don't get satisfied with a little bit because the little bit you have isn't keeping you going in the hard times. It's when you keep connecting back in, see, that you, you continue to grow in him. And so, so that's the, the admonition, that's the exhortation of the writer of Hebrews in this 5. We have, in, in chapter 5, we have an amazing high priest in Jesus who gets us. I mean, just that alone should impact us in ways that, I mean, if we'll just stop and think about it, what Jesus has done for us, and, and just, you know, it's such an amazing thing. It's, it's off the charts. And yet, sometimes we can just kind of slip into the mundane of everyday sort of life and we kind of forget. How, how, how amazing is it? I mean, how amazing is it that the creator of the universe, God, loved you so much that he created you to be in relationship with you and yet you chose to sin. You basically thumbed your nose at God. All of us have. And you've said, man, I'm going to do my own thing. And, and we've all done that. And God loves you so much that he pursues you um, and, and he himself um, comes and, and, and then endures all that he endured at the, at the hands of people who betrayed him, who beat him, who humiliated him, who rejected him, who abandoned him, uh, crucified him, which is the, it's a type of death beyond description. If, if we really got into the, the, the horrendous nature of what crucifixion really was, it, you wouldn't, it would turn your stomach to the point where you'd never, you wouldn't even want to hear about it. And he endures all that and dies and then defeats death, uh, overcomes death, rises again. He does all that so that he can reestablish relationship with us. All we have to do is say yes to that. All, that's, all, that's our only part. Yes, thank you, God. I can't believe I'm such a mess. Thank you so much that you want me to have life with you forever. That's our part. How, how, I mean, how amazing is that? Really, the reality of that, when it sits in, should it so overwhelm the stuff that we settle for that it changes us and should be continually changing us all the time so that we just want more of him, so that we just keep plugging in. God, what, what can I do? So that's sort of what's being stirred now. In, 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 in this chapter. Look, this is what Jesus has done. Why would you even think about going back? How would you even let it cross your mind that you have a better way? Don't. You don't. So that's, that's Hebrews 5, uh, sort of in the short form. If you're watching my video, thank you so much for spending time with us. We appreciate it. Um, you can always go to our website if you need prayer and find the prayer page and we pray for you. You can call us. We'll uh, pray for you that way, keysvenue.com. Hope you watch again next week. If you're on television, if you're watching, come check us out. Whenever you're on Big Pond, we'd love to see you. All right, good night. That kind of rhymed, all right, good night.